Hi, everyone, and welcome to this special interview with Scott Peterson as part of the Consulting with Authority podcast. My name is Scott Cantrell. And Scott, before we get into some of the details here, I just want to thank you for being here and uh, carving out some time for us today. Scott, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today with you and and get to spend some time with your audience. I, I appreciate the invitation. Well, I know you're going to have a lot of uh, fantastic value to give everybody. So uh, without any further ado, let me introduce you to everyone. Everybody, Scott Peterson is the founder and managing partner of Carver Peterson Consulting. Founded in 2014, they help growth-minded entrepreneurs build high-performing sales teams to win, retain, and grow more of their right clients. Uh, Through their in-depth and collaborative engagements, they build sales playbooks that are repeatable, scalable, and sustainable. And over the uh, last six years or so, they have expedited and safeguarded the growth of over 80 growing businesses across the country. Scott, that's quite a resume just in the last few years. Um, and we're going to get into what Carver Peterson does a little bit later on and, and kind of how you do it. But before we do that, one of the most, I think, meaningful and valuable parts of these interviews, certainly for me and from what I hear from our listeners and viewers, is learning about where people came from. Because understanding the origin story of a superhero, right? I'm not necessarily comparing you to Superman. So no worries. But uh, knowing the origin story of someone who's doing great things can really help provide a level of insight and understanding in terms of not only where they've been, but where they're going and how they got there. And so many lessons can be gleaned from other people's histories and backgrounds. So give us a little bit about your journey. How did you get from how did you get where you are today from where you started? You know, you and I have had a couple of conversations in the past, and it really is a, a fascinating story that I know there's a lot of kind of gold to mine uh, from your experiences. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that with our with our audience. All right. Well, thanks again for the intro. I appreciate it. So, yeah, the, the backstory, I grew up in a small town in Oregon, a college town, Oregon State. And, you know, my dad's an entrepreneur himself. He's a custom home builder and built you know, beautiful homes for 40 years. And, you know, as a kid, I was digging holes for them. My sister was filing, you know, we were, we were in the family business, you know, we had his clients at our dining table, you know, at, at nights and weekends, you know, putting the blueprints on the table to to build their beautiful homes. And uh, so entrepreneurship is definitely in my blood. And, and another piece that came along with that you know, my dad was was able to coach all my teams growing up. And so there was just a lot of love and passion for entrepreneurship and something that I was always really interested in. I ended up going to school at Oregon State, so stayed local. I pretended like I moved away. I didn't take the laundry home. <laughs> but when I finished school, I moved to Boston. You know, I, I hadn't been east of Colorado. It was one of those things where I just wanted to see what life had to offer in a bigger market. And, uh, and I started working for a company called Aerotech, a recruiting firm. And the Aerotech story is just an unbelievable one. You know, when you look at the, when you rewind the tape and, and really look at what happened, you know, the, the founders, the original founders of the company in the 80s in Baltimore, you know, started this thing out of their garage or basement, whatever the case. And, and you fast forward it to today and it's 7 billion. It's still Amazing. private. They just grew, you know, account by account, market by market. It's an international company now that's just done really, really well, you know, over these last, you know, 40 or so years. And so I started there in 01. You know, I thought it was a starter job. And this is some of the advice that I give for a lot of, of younger, early, earlier professionals, right? Just getting into their career. I was lucky that I had the opportunity to work for just some amazing people. 
And to me, you know, especially earlier in your career, like leadership is the ultimate accelerator, you know, having the right people in front of you and guiding you and coaching you makes all the difference in the world. And and I lucked out. I just had some phenomenal, phenomenal people, you know, who who I was reporting to and working for and, and their guidance uh, was really impactful. So this starter job quickly turned into something much different. And I got to be a part of building a division that didn't exist in the Boston market. So it was, again, like very entrepreneurial, which which fit my DNA. And what was crazy about it, that division was established and successful in other markets, but just not Boston. And so we had we had price floors that we could not exceed. So, you know, the way it translated out, we were the most expensive and we weren't the best. Mm. Right. We were the most expensive. We were brand new competing against well-established competitors. Mm. So as a 20 something year old, what a great way to learn, you know, <laughs> like pursuing your first prospect with no like strong offering behind you, <laughs> but you couldn't overpromise because it, you weren't sure if you could totally deliver, but you couldn't burn bridges because you only had so many companies that fit the profile. Yeah. That's so it was a just a thing. It was an it was a great way to it was frustrating at the time, <laughs> challenging and all those things. But but in hindsight, you know, what a great way to learn. And the only way that I really stuck that out was because of the people that, you know, I was I was working mm-hmm. for and with and had the opportunity to eventually leave. So ultimately that that division became a really successful one. Boston became really successful in itself. So many great people and leaders came out of that operation. And then I got the opportunity to lead one of the the offices, the company moved me to San Diego in 08, which was a really strange and challenging time in itself. Yeah. Uh, the economy was heading down and, you know, I got there and in, in a, a tough situation, the top performers were in a lot of ways, some of the more misaligned to mm. the values of the organization and whatnot. And so it was just one of those things where it was, you know, a turnaround job. And we went from, you know, office number 160 out of 250, all the way up to 33. Wow. And and it was so much about, you know, getting the, the right people in the right seats and the right people on the bus and all those things, right, that come along with it. I was such a young leader. I didn't know what I didn't know. So we just really did the fundamentals. And uh, and as a result, grew a lot. And we built a really cool team and culture and got a lot of recognition that came along with it. And, uh, and as, as a result, the organization asked me to move to Illinois in, in 11. Illinois was a big shop. It was the number four office in the company. We had a, a huge team and it was a winning team that just had to evolve into a different style of winning team. It was one way that had worked for a long time and and just some things that had to change in order for them to get to that next level. And so it was a great opportunity to, you know, to evolve a team and continue growing. And then, you know, a year and a half later, I got a chance to go into a downtown market and we ended up rolling five offices up into one. And almost like a merger situation and and attack a downtown market that was really unusual for the company. And so there were just these experiences that came, you know, over these 13 years at Aerotech where, you know, I got to build one, I got to turn one around, I got to evolve one. And then I ultimately got to lead this, you know, this merger and all of it came back to the same things. It was having a clear vision, you know, with, with a clear mission and clear organizational goals and strategies and getting that team moving in the same direction. And, and that was in so many ways the work. And we did really, really good work over those years. And, and it's something that I'm really proud of. And quite frankly, 
was the foundation for everything that I'm doing now with Carver Peterson that I started in 2014. So I'll shut up there because I've been going on for a minute, but that's, that's the the origin story prior to, to starting Carver Peterson. No, it, it is a fascinating story. And I think a lot of folks don't have clarity like you talked about, right? You talked about the key thing in all three of those very different situations was understanding, I guess, first where you were and then just as importantly, having a clear vision for where you wanted to go. And, and, and maybe you, you tell me, but between the experience in Boston where you're basically creating something new and then San Diego, the turnaround and then Chicago, the evolution, and then sort of the optimization piece of it all was, was your experience. And, and I'm going to tie this back to somewhere else we're going later, but was your experience in Boston in some ways, not because maybe it was fresh for you and you were, you were newbie and the most green when you were starting out, but just from the standpoint of the company was younger, it it was still filling its own way out. Was that the hardest time or the easiest time from a clarity standpoint? Right, <laughs> uh, because I, I can I can I can see it. I could you know I could imagine it being either way. And clarity is something that I've personally been trying to trying to achieve <laughs> maybe is the most honest and indicting uh, way to say it with, with my firm. So just tell me about your experience related to uh, that Boston point. Was there clarity in terms of what you were trying to achieve there at the beginning? Yes. And here's why it's such a good question. Okay. So now that I'm out of that organization, right? You know, my love and respect and admiration was always there, but it's at a different level of course. now being able to like really appreciate what they've been able to accomplish. And, and the foundation is, is this wildly disciplined organization that has a extremely refined and tight sales strategy in every single discipline. So okay. the discipline that I was responsible for was established elsewhere. It just wasn't established in Boston. Okay. And so I knew who we were going after. I knew what we were selling. I knew the value proposition of it. I'll tell you that as a young seller, I was a bit scared to go after my best prospects mm -hmm. because I felt like I wasn't quite there yet. Like okay. I didn't want to mess them up because I knew there were only a few. And so as a result, I ended up selling to more misaligned prospects that ultimately were mm -hmm. a mismatch for our service offering that only impacted my confidence negatively because it wasn't a match. Yeah. So it was one of those things. It was like I was trying to protect myself by, you know, selling to the the B's or C's when really the A's were the ones where the whole thing really fit. Yeah. And so it it was a painful lesson to learn, but the lesson was, you know, your product market fit is your product market fit. And the, the more clear and specific you can be with that product market fit, the more there's alignment, the more there's going to be a lot of natural gravitation toward one another. Yeah. But you need to understand what that is. It was more simple in a lot of ways in Boston than, than it may have appeared. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. No, I think it's a great lesson. And, you know, my firm is the, the new, the new venture I'm working on is relatively young and coming from a business where we did have a very mature and clear understanding of who our target market was, what our value proposition was, what the product and market fit was to, you know, now having a level of clarity, but not a 
super refined level of clarity. I totally feel what you're, what you're describing. And I suspect a lot of the folks listening to this have the same type of experience. And, and so this actually ties directly into kind of where I wanted to go next. I want to dive into the Carver Peterson story. And so telling us about how, how you transitioned from Aerotech and founded Carver Peterson and tying into that, how you got started on the business development piece, because I know for and, and this is probably not news to you being in the being in the space that you're in, working with teams on their sales structure and optimizing the overall sales process and experience. But one of the most common challenges that I hear from consultants that I work with, consultants who are clients or consultants that I just collaborate with, is, you know, we want to continue to refine our business development strategy. We want to be in front of more of the right types of people. We want to have better, more compelling conversations, right? So this business development challenge or our opportunity is what it really is, is has always been, I would argue probably will always be this riddle that we have to try to try to solve. And so talk a little bit about your transition from Aerotech to Carver Peterson and how you got how you started to get initial momentum with Carver Peterson, what those early days were like from a business development uh, point of view. It's a great question. So let's see here. When I first started, I left Aerotech with a strict non-compete, you know, and, and Aerotech was selling to you know, the fortune 5,000s of, you know, fortune 500, fortune 1,000, fortune 5,000, like it, the, the bigger organizations, yeah. right? And that, that wasn't going to be my audience, but I also didn't have a network. I wasn't from Chicago. And, you know, so there was really no personal or professional network there. Everything was, was starting brand new. And so, you know, really the, the way that, that the whole thing started, I was afraid to, to put my flag down of like, where I, I really belong. And there was still something, there was still things I needed to learn, but I had an idea of where I could be the, 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 have the biggest impact, but it's, it's scary to pick that lane, you know, cause you're going to cut off options. And I think yeah. that's one of the biggest challenges that a lot of, of consultants and salespeople have quite frankly, is that they're not specific enough. And so, you know, what I learned quickly though, was, you know, by opening myself up to the world and, and communicating to my network what I was looking to accomplish and who I was looking to accomplish for, even though it was a little bit more broad than it should have been, it started getting me into the lane. Mm-hmm. And the, the more I started having these conversations and the more I could get refined and refined and refined, the better introductions that were starting to come out of my, my network and my community. And ultimately, when I found where I belonged and, and ultimately where I found that I belonged was in this, this community between 2 million and 50 million in revenue, growth-minded entrepreneurs that were trying to build and grow and scale and sales was an important piece of it. I started finding these little pockets and, and one of them was a startup community, an accelerator community in Chicago called 1871. I immediately chose to volunteer, right? So they were looking for mentors, they were looking for people with guidance, and while that community that I was mentoring wasn't exactly the fit to my ideal client profile, mm-hmm. the other mentors were. The cool. other mentors yeah. became this community that I started like building rapport and, and connection. And through those relationships, the right doors started opening. And so it was interesting. It was all through giving, you know, so it mm-hmm. was giving my time first Anytime I would make a relationship with someone, it was about opening my network and expertise to them in ways that I could give before expecting to receive. 
Right. And then anytime an introduction came back my way, you know, being able to close that loop back to the person who made the introduction and provide feedback around what worked and what didn't work and what was aligned and, and misaligned and, and giving thanks and showing that you were caring for those introductions that sure. they had made for you was really, really impactful in terms of earning your way up to better introductions, right? Like no one wants to make the A plus introduction out the gate to someone they don't know, right? but they yeah. will as you continue to earn credibility and trust and, and show that you can follow through and do good work. So all of that was kind of the, the origin and then getting that first customer you know, that was really like dead square on what we call the blue chip profile is where everything started, right? Like getting really locked in there, doing your best work, getting your testimonial, getting your case study and starting to leverage for other introductions just becomes such an important momentum builder in your, your ideal client profile. That's really cool. And I want to dive into what, while we're here, describe for you and I've had a conversation about it, but describe for the audience how you sort of put together your blue chip profile, because I think this is a really, a really fascinating idea. And, and you guys are incredibly specific. I mean, we're talking about totally honed in on who you specifically want to do business with and maybe, maybe as important or not more important, but as important as who you do not, who, who is yeah. not an ideal client and who you would not do your best work for. So Describe for the audience the idea of this blue chip profile and kind of how you all went about putting it together, because I think I need to hear it. <laughs> and I suspect <laughs> that a lot of my listeners could benefit from hearing it as well. Yeah. Well, so there's a, a really simple two by two grid that kind of starts the whole explanation, you know, and the 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 vertical axis is, you know, do they align? Does this prospect align financially, right? Do they're is this going to be a viable fit from a, a, a financial aspect? Sure. And then on the horizontal line is, is the cultural alignment. Okay. So is this someone that, you know, you're going to work well together, right? This is going to be someone that you want to build and grow with over time, someone that you can grow with, someone that, that can refer you to others, someone that can build your brand. You know, so there's a lot of things to unpack around cultural alignment, but those are the, the you know, the X and Y. And, you know, that top right box is what we call the blue chip, you know, so it's, it's someone that's aligned culturally and financially. And then, you know, the other end of that spectrum is misaligned financially and misaligned culturally. And it's, it's crazy how often we see our clients with clients fitting in that box. We call that box, the graveyard. <laughs> if you have too many clients sitting in the graveyard, it can, it can kill your business. And so, understanding what those those profiles look like because they tend to be different mm -hmm. uh, becomes a really important piece. So if you can start to evaluate, you know, your your book of business by by breaking them down into this little four two by two grid, it's it's really impactful. Inside of each box is the demographics, the psychographics, and the trigger events. Okay. And so, you know, the the demographics are all the things like you know, how big are they? Where are they? Uh, right. Is there a particular industry? How old are they as organizations? Are they, you know, what's their ownership type? Is it public, private, nonprofit, right? So like as many characteristics that we could identify would give you a lot of clarity around like who you best fit with. Is it a big company? Is it a small company? Is it a local company? Is it an international company? Like all those things matter, mm -hmm. right? And it gives us a, a good starting point to really narrow down the pool. You know, the psychographics are like what they really care about, you know, like what do they think and feel and want and need? Like, 
you know, and for us, like we know that we need business owners that are really growth minded, growth oriented and wanting to, to build and, and scale, right? Like that's something that's really, really important to us. We also need, need leaders who are going to be really open minded and vulnerable and willing to change, right? Like there has to be a learner mindset. They have to be willing to get in front of their team. And we also have to have people that are going to be willing to roll their sleeves up and do the work. Right. So those are some like really key ingredients, key characteristics of the leaders that we're looking for that go beyond just the demographics, the triggers, you know, so like what happens for them to have the need right now? Did someone, did a leader change? Did they win a new contract? Was there a a huge event like, you know, our global pandemic that we just went through that caused the business to shift? Like what, what's the trigger? And is there a common trigger that, that brings people to you or, or, or opens the door for you, you know? And so for us, it's the, you know, founder rainmaker is at capacity, you know, and they just can't continue to grow and scale because they're running out of time and they have other responsibilities or the sales leader turns over or they have an underperforming team, but they have an outlier performer and they're trying to get more people to perform like that person. Like those are some of the things that we can speak to. And when you put all those together in your conversation, you know, the, the profile gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And so, you know, it's, it's common that an introduction will, will come out because the, the profile is just so specific. Gotcha. That's phenomenal. Thank you for breaking that down. I love the, I love the two by two matrix breakdown. And then within each of the boxes, what are the demographic psychographics and trigger events, which is one that I don't think I've given personally enough attention to myself. You started with no network, with a healthy non-compete. You volunteered to do mentorship through 1871. Through that group, you met other mentors that were in alignment with who you wanted to work with, who you could serve. Describe for me, if you would, how that COI network started to started to be created and evolved. Or maybe a better way to ask or to get where I want to go is, what was your what was your COI process? So when you identified someone who could be a center of influence for you and introduce you to other folks, what did that relationship look like? How did you manage that relationship? Or even today with a center of influence, how do you manage those types of relationships? Because I think this is a a massively overlooked uh, business development strategy and working with my clients on the front end of what you guys do on the back end, you know, marketing versus selling. I think there's consultants working way, way too hard, spending way, way too much time, effort, and money on marketing shiny objects, as opposed to getting to the core of the opportunity, which I think COIs are a, are a, a really important and highly, highly valuable marketing and business development channel. So if you wouldn't mind, talk about your experience in managing those types of relationships. Yeah, this is one of the, this might be the most important business development strategies and and the one that's led to the majority of our business you know so getting a client to refer you to a prospect is the gold standard sure right that's that's the best and that takes work you know like and and i'm thankful that we're at that point now but to really get started it, it it took those strategic partnerships to get there and when i think of strategic partnerships i go back to my blue chip profile And I say, who are the other people who have a trusted relationship with the key stakeholder inside of my blue chip client? So that's where everything starts. So 
my blue chip profile, are they working with another consultant with on marketing? Are they working with someone on talent? Are they working with someone on HR? Are they doing outsource financial? And that actually is one of our key characteristics too, is that they outsource other non-core aspects of their business, right? So, so knowing who those people are that are also supporting my blue chip clients became a really natural relationship, right? If, if we can do our best work and help that business owner and, and, and business overall grow and scale, it's going to allow these other service providers more work and greater success as well, yeah. right? And so all of us are, are really trying to support with the same end goal. And so it only makes sense that you'd have these relationships, but you have to be able to identify them. And you also have to be able to offer a mutually beneficial relationship. If it's just a take, it's not going to work. Right. Yep. And so over time, what I ended up finding was that a lot of our clients were either a member of EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, or Vistage. And now there's you know several others as well, but those were the two primary. And so building a relationship with Vistage Chairs became an important early relationship for me. And being able to support their CEOs that they were leading uh, was an important way to give. And then also be able to refer people that were considering Vistage or thinking about Vistage. And then, you know, really the same inside of EO. EO, you know, follows the scaling up and and Mm -hmm. traction philosophy. And there's a lot of EOS implementers that are, are, are tied to that community. And the EOS implementers have come, have become our very best strategic partners. Like they're laying down such a a wonderful foundation and we're able to build and and grow on it in such an impactful way that, that once realizing that that relationship was mutually beneficial and and not competitive Mm. and it was like, okay, there's a lot that we can do here. But it also, again, took me saying, Hey, here's a prospect that we could work with right now but it probably makes sense to refer them over to an EOS implementer to lay down that foundation first. Interesting. And once we started doing that, instead of just trying to take every prospect or opportunity that we could, is where those relationships really started accelerating. There's an intentionality with, with alignment and there's an intentionality around, you know, just making sure that you're giving and not just, you know, just trying to take. And, and those are the, the, the most important pieces. That's great. And, um, you know, you're talking about EOS implementers. I can't imagine early on the the initial, you know, sort of gut check would have been, oh, well, EOS implementers may be competitive in, in our space. Uh, but you quickly realized you, you, did, you didn't just accept that, you know, inherent thinking track, right? You, you investigated it and realized, no, 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 they're incredibly collaborative in terms of what we're doing and what they're doing. And you turned that potential you know, problem or challenge into a huge benefit and now a healthy COI network. Your point about being willing to defer and delay your own business and give it to a COI first, because you know, that's in the best interest, you believe that's in the best interest of the future client to then have a, not a mandate, not uh, a, a formalized, you know, statement to the EOS implementer that, okay, we're going to refer you this business and we expect, right? There's none of that, you know, none of that type of stuff going on. It's just, you need to, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, you need to work with this EOS implementer 
do these things first, and then we'll come back and we can have a conversation. You're setting up the EOS implementer to, <laughs> you know, I don't know how you're getting in touch with the client in the first place, but regardless, that client's now going to be reintroduced to you later. And at that point, your authority will be maxed out. You will have established so much trust, so much credibility, and so much authority because you're willing to say, not yet. And that's huge. And, and, I, and I, I know from personal experience, I'm not in that place right now, fortunately, but I know from personal experience how difficult it can be for a consulting firm to delay or defer business without some guarantee that's coming back. But this is what you're speaking to about being thoughtful, intentional about it. And yes, being giving, but not just to your COI partners, which in this case, the OS implementers, but also giving to the organization that you that you want to serve later, i.e., you know, yes, we can help you, but it would be much, much more beneficial if you did these things first. Let me make the introduction. And then when you're when you're ready or when it makes sense, we'll reengage with the conversation. Right. Um, Talk about establishing an advocate in someone before they're even a client. Was that something that you just felt was the right thing to do? Was it a business decision or all the above? Tell tell us a little bit about your thinking about that and the mindset kind of had to, you know, you had to put aside, oh, you know, we could engage with this client now. They're probably write us a check and we can deposit that money. And, but you said, no, 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 that's not in their best interest, ultimately not in our best interest. Describe your, how you feel about that, your thinking behind that, because I think if more consultants could uh, internalize that, the world would be a better place, but they would probably be busier consultants. It's evolved. It, it's it has always been what's best for the client. That's that's always been the center point of okay. You know, we're stepping into an engagement, and we're saying okay, how do we increase revenue and maximize profitability? Yeah. You know, how do we we win more of the right clients? You know, retain the right clients, grow the clients. That's our whole thing, but they have to be strong. You know, and if if they don't have their foundation, if they don't have the right pieces in place, it's going to be really hard for them to be able to go and and it's going to be hard for us to deliver on our promises. Right. And sure. so what's what's happened is, you know, over the course of these last six years, you know, we've had some engagements just go really, really well, and we've had others that that have been tougher sledding. And what was interesting, we ended up, it was really by accident that we had an engagement that was working with an EOS implementer. And I was wondering like, how is this going to work? Is there, you know, too many chefs in the kitchen and the engagement moved differently. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the work that we put in place was, was being integrated differently, moving differently, accelerating differently. And I was like, Holy cow, man, this is awesome. Yeah. And so that was in a lot of ways, the origin of it was like, Hey, their foundational work, is so impactful. And I shouldn't say just EOS implementers, they're scaling up coaches, there's clinical business guides, there's others, right, that are are doing all this phenomenal work. And so that foundation, it just is so critical. And, and, and then in other cases where that wasn't there, and, and seeing the challenges that came from it, you know, it wasn't allowing us to do our best work, I would, if we can't deliver on our brand promises, I'd rather not do the work, right? If, If we can't drive revenue and maximize profitability, then it's not in any of our best interest to do the work. It's hard, it's frustrating, it's challenging, and, and it doesn't build the organization. And so it just makes sense to do what's best for the client. The other thing that I want to mention here is that, you know, by by having the relationship with the stakeholder, the key stakeholders, right? You get your your founders and your executive leaders, when you can attach yourself to 
like the business and really trying to understand their desired future state, like getting a holistic view of the business and not just like the one thing that you do. But if you can really get an understanding of the holistic business and, and, and then start to identify where there's some gaps or, or challenges that now there's an opportunity to impact the client outside of your area of expertise through your network. Yeah. Right. And so, so early there, you know, it was like, okay, well, who do I know that's really good at this thing? And then it became a responsibility over time to say, if I'm going to serve my clients and, and want to do what's best for my clients, it's really, really important to me that I bet I find the best service providers in all of these disciplines that are complementary to ours that our clients may need. Yep. And so it was that intentionality that started to say, okay, let's build out this strategic partner network. So I know who to introduce when I see these things happen. And, and there's a lot of um, appreciation that comes from the business, the, the business owner and, and business, because we're solving other problems. Exactly. Yeah. And then there becomes this, you know, this world, this community that you start, start living in and, and can really do good work together. And that just kind of raises everything up of like, okay, we can, we can do great work. Where else can we do this together? Yeah. I, I love this. I love this approach and this general model. And I think a lot of consultants, especially solopreneurs, but even smaller consultant shops as well, where they're not, you know, they have their, their zone of genius and that's where they want to stay. Right. And so it absolutely doesn't make sense to try to be jack of all trades, but just because you're not jack of all trades doesn't mean you can't introduce your clients to other masters. Right. And so I think that's a huge opportunity. I call that, you know, sort of positioning yourself as the gatekeeper of resources with your clients. And you get to be the one that that walks the sales expert in the door or the marketing guru in the door or the financial person or the HR person or whoever it is. And, um, and it, 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 it allows you to elevate your position and the level of value that you bring to a client beyond your own zone of genius while still doing the best work you can in the, the area where you want to focus. I think that model is, is great. The other note that I want to mention that I think is really, really important, and you you stated it and alluded to it, I want to make sure I re-articulate it here, is you're talking about introducing these other partners even ahead of your own work, right? And the idea there, yes, it is in the best interest of the organization, 100%, and that's the right reason to do it, of course. At the same time, though, you realized that that organization, while a prospect for your firm, was not an ideal prospect for your firm, right? It wasn't a blue chip organization when they came to you. And so the question then is, how, how can we help this organization mm. become a blue chip prospect for us? How can we help them become a blue chip client for us? And whether you did that intentionally or not, you, you, did, the, you did right by your client, and that's always going to lead to a good result ultimately. But the EOS implementer, the scaling up coach, the pinnacle, the, the whoever the advisor consultants are, that are laying, doing a lot of that foundational work, they're turning your prospects into ideal blue chip prospects. And, um, and that's, that was, that's, I wrote that down, you know, helping potential prospects become ideal prospects. Uh, that, that in and of itself is an incredible value for your own business, not to mention for the organization you serve. So it's something, a, a, a mindset or a way of thinking that I hadn't really considered before, even on our past conversations. Anyway, that is so well said in a really good find. I've never said it quite like that before. That that really just locked it home. 
I mean, what you're explaining makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're grooming a prospect into your blue chip prospect. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and you're doing that by, by in, at the very least, right. We, we can't, you know, determine how that relationship is going to go, but at the very least we can make the right introductions. Right. And then it's up to the, to that consultant or that advisor and the organization to, to do good work together. And, and hopefully they will, but you're putting the odds in, in your own favor of a, of a, a random prospect becoming an ideal prospect at, and, and most importantly, I don't want to understate this. Most importantly, you're doing, you're, you're making the best recommendation to the organization that you can. I want to dive into a little bit about your process at Carver Peterson and how you guys engage with a client. Uh, I know that a lot of different coaches, a lot of different consultants, a lot of different types of advisors have different types of processes that they utilize. Your all's process is especially, I think, unique. And I and I would love you just to kind of walk through it at a high level if you're willing here, because your process, you're, you're, you kind of have this meta thing going on, Scott, right? Where your process is in some ways the product. The process that you all are utilizing has been refined and in and and provides a, a model or a track that you're then teaching your own clients in, in some ways. And obviously, I know there's probably a lot of variants and adaptations depending on who you're working with, but would you mind just sort of walking everybody through how you engage with a prospect initially and walk them through that, that client conversion process? Yes. Yeah, I'd be happy to share. So as we had just explained, you know, you now get a sense of, of how an introduction comes Right. Either whether through a, a client or through a strategic partner, you know, it's it's really important that we're getting introduced to the the founder or CEO of the company. So that's that's where our introductions come. That initial introduction is really all just about, you know, learning of one another and, and getting a feel for, you know, are there pains and problems aligning to our solutions and services? Yeah. And and do we align culturally? So we're trying to understand, like, are they checking the boxes for those things that we had talked about earlier? Right. The psychographics, like, you know, wanting to build and grow and scale and, you know, vulnerable and transparent and open to learn and change and willing to roll their sleeves up. Right. Like, so all those things start happening out of that initial conversation. And, and, and once we feel a really good alignment, you know, there's an invitation to do a, a, a whiteboard session together. And so you have to be selective there because there's a big investment of time that's going to come with this. Right. And so the whiteboard session ends up being two hours and we invite that key stakeholder and their additional stakeholders that would be responsible for helping them build and grow and scale to do a, a virtual whiteboard session. And, um, you know, in the days of, of you know, pre-COVID, we'd, we'd walk into the office and actually jump on the whiteboard. Sure. Um, but there's so many nice tools now that that have allowed us to recreate it. But we're sitting down and we're talking about, you know, the current state, desired future state of the business. We're trying to understand what matters most to them and, and how they're gauging the health of their business. And we're taking a deep dive into their sales strategy, their sales process, and their sales structure. And, and out of that two hours, like the whole thing is focused on them, mm -hmm. right? The whole thing is about them. There's not a pitch deck. There's not, it's just <laughs> gotcha. learning about them. And, and we are showcasing our expertise by the questions that we're asking yep. and the second level questions and the third level questions, right? So you're showcasing expertise through the questions. And then you're also 
getting a chance to, to model and experiment and feel what it would be like if we were to work together. Because uh, that whiteboard, in a lot of ways, mimics and models you know, what some of our traditional engagements look like. So we end up taking all that two hours of information. And at the end of the whiteboard, you know, our, our one promise is that we'll put together a report and we'll present it back to them with our recommendations. Mm-hmm. And, and we do just that, right? So we take the two hours of work together and, and invest time to put together a really thoughtful report with yeah. insights and recommendations. And about a week later is when we would present that back to them. And it's, it's in essence, hey, if we were in your shoes, these would be the things that we would be doing. So the whole idea is we're trying to, to create value for our prospect early. We're also trying to learn as much as we can to kind of jumpstart and expedite that process. And three, you know, we're, we're trying to model, you know, and, and, and feel like how that collaborative relationship would look. And so at the end of that whiteboard report, assuming that there's, you know, alignment, mutual interest is when we would ask if they'd be interested in seeing a proposal from us. So all of that is done pre like any real dialogue around like the engagement or anything. They've, they've got an understanding of, of our model and, and sure. how it works. But, um, but at the end of that whiteboard report, you know, so we really, we've already invested five or six hours Mm-hmm. in total into that prospect before we're even asking them if if they're interested in in the proposal. Gotcha. So that says a lot right then and there. You know, and and so that's why you have to be really selective. You have to be able to convert yeah. that whiteboard at a really high rate otherwise you're going to be doing a lot of free work. Yeah. You know, but but we've found that we can we can vet appropriately and then convert at a really high level. And, and, uh, and it's just been a really impactful beginning to our relationships, you know, with, with that level of detail and understanding. And it's pretty amazing. We have people all the time ask us like, you know, like what stage, like how, how many, how many conversations until you, you get there. And they're always surprised when they hear it's just, you know, like one initial conversation. And then we're, we're diving into like, you know, intimate details of their yeah. business and kind of the skeletons in the closet, you know, it's, so I'm proud that we're able to, to get to that as quickly as we do. And, and mm-hmm. I think it has a lot to do with like, you know, doing a good job of building rapport and trust in that initial conversation, but it's been wildly impactful for our work and, and just allowed us to build really good partnerships from the jump. I, I, I love that model and I'm always been and continue to be a huge proponent of value first. Right. I mean, that speaks to your culture. Everything you've talked about here, Scott, on the podcast interview here has been all about how do I give first? How do I bring value first? And that unsurprisingly is just re- is reflected in your in your sales process. And the the four things I wrote down about this this whiteboarding session. Right. For I wouldn't think of them as objectives, but maybe that's what they are. But the four things that happen within the context of the whiteboarding uh, session. You, you tell me if I missed something, but I think this is a model that could be adapted by other, you know, in, in virtually any type of consultant type of relationship. And, and maybe certain consultants are doing part of this, maybe they're doing all of it. But the four things that came to mind are, number one, lead with value. How can we answer questions that this company has? How can we bring value? How can we use leverage our expertise? And even the questions we're asking to help give insight and provide value. So I think that's primary one, right? The second item is to learn, right? So while the client is learning, you're learning, you're getting important insight and data that may, I, I assume, 
this happens. During the whiteboarding session, it may become clear that this organization may not be a fit for you, right? Sure. I mean, that's part of the process, yes? Yes. Uh, so learning, learning about the organization, are they a fit, that kind of thing. And that, that's the third thing I, I separated was, are they, are they a right fit for us to work with? So you're trying to make that determination during the whiteboard. The client or the potential client at that point is probably making the same determination. So in some ways, it's a mutual interview, but you get that experience of what it's going to be like to work together, like you said. And then the fourth item, which just relates to everything else, is it is a showcase opportunity, right? It is an opportunity to establish your authority. And, and obviously, we're, we're here on consulting with authority. And I always like <laughs> to say that uh, authority is when you're able to demonstrate your knowledge and your skill to a prospect or to a client. That's how you establish authority. It's not by someone saying you're an authority or you're a thought leader. It's through the demonstration of your expertise and skill. And so that whiteboarding opportunity, that forum gives you the ideal place to be able to establish that authority. Not for It's not about showing off for showing off sake. It's truly about demonstrating to them, yes, we can have an intelligent conversation on this topic. Yes, we probably have some value for you that you should consider moving ahead with. Value, learning, right fit, building authority, any other objectives within that whiteboarding process that are, are focal points for you, you or that, uh, that come out of that process? I think that's a really nice summary. And there's a few thoughts that, that accompany that Please. that I think drive the point home. You know, one is I was so anxious at first to say, hey, we need two hours mm. to do this. And I'm like, we've had one conversation is the business owner going to wrangle up their other key stakeholders and take two hours with me? Yeah. You know, who am Great I, question. you know, like yeah. all, all that stuff. And, and so what we found was those that were unwilling to invest that time, you know, so, Hey, can we do 90 minutes? Like I only have an hour immediately. We're starting to fall off our ideal client profile <laughs> fit. Gotcha. So we, I didn't know it at first, you know, cause I was anxious about it myself, but look, those that were saying, let's do it. I want to talk about my business. I want to get my other key stakeholders in this thing. This yeah. is the most important thing we're doing all week yeah. versus this is another meeting on my calendar today. Yep. That was immediate, immediate. So like there was indication. And so we have come out of those whiteboard sessions and disqualified prospects and provided them alternative options. Right. Right. It's not us, but here are some things that might be a better fit for you at the time. Yep. So, so that's one thing for sure. And then the, the authority piece, you know, our big thing is you have your process, you're the expert, and then you walk them through your process. Mm -hmm. We see in here all the time, our clients say to their prospects, like, Hey, what do you think we should do next? Yeah. Hey, when do you want to reconnect? And anytime a, a, a meeting is ended with an open loop, the thing is gone. Right. Right. Like the, yep. the, the winning percentage is out the window. And yep. so, so our whole thing is intro to whiteboard, whiteboard to report, report to proposal, proposal to final proposal review, bop, bop, bop. Yep. And everything leaves with a date. Yeah. And so that's the authority. There's right. no questioning it. It's not salesy. It's just not, the process. Yeah. It's just the process. And, and, and we're leading them through this and they're happy to be you know, following along. But, but the whole thing is, is that we've defined the process and that's what so many organizations don't have that leaves them saying, Hey, you know, what do you want to do next? And, and then the whole thing's out the window. 
Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. That's huge. That's huge. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so much for carving out some time. We're coming up on time. One last question that I always ask, uh, somewhat of a cliche question, but the reason it's a cliche is because it's been around forever. And the reason it's been around forever is because it's a great question. Biggest lesson or lessons learned during your career? Uh, Aerotech, Carver, uh, Peterson, you know, pandemic, <laughs> pull, pull from your source. But what, what have you perceived as your, your greatest lessons learned being in the space that you're in, specifically as, as a consultant and helping clients improve their, their state? Yeah. The thing that I've learned more than anything is, is just staying true to your vision. Mm. You know, so I loved my time at Aerotech, but it came to a point where it wasn't serving my vision yeah. and, and my personal life, you know, came where there was an opportunity in my personal life. And I, I pursued that and, and starting this business, you know, part of it was I wanted to be able to coach my kids teams someday. Yeah. Or like and, your experience with your dad, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so there are times when I get really conflicted with that, right? Where it's like, you see other people accomplishing things or the, you know, what you're really, what you really believe in and want and are working toward can get cloudy and, and it can impact decisions of like, you know, so it's, it's, it's being crystal clear on, on your vision and really why you're doing what you do. And just being true to that, because when that's at the forefront, everything else fits, right? The people that come and want to be a part of your organization align to that. The companies that you partner with align to that. Every, I mean, that's the center point of everything. And so there have been times, you know, that I've, I've gotten away from that or tucked that behind. Mm -hmm. And, and it's when I've, I've been at my worst, you know, so I'm just really proud that, um, you know, I've been able to, to, you know, pursue this for six years and get better every single day and, and, you know, keep working toward that vision. That's fantastic. And that's a great note to, uh, to end our discussion on. Be clear to yourself, know what your vision is and, and don't put it on the back burner. Keep it in front of you. Listen, Scott, thank you again for your time. You've been very generous, not only with your time, but with your expertise today and, and sharing with everybody, you know, your story and how you got to where you are. If someone wants to find out about Carver Peterson, uh, to potentially be a strategic partner, to potentially be a client, or just to connect. What's the best way for them to find you online, locate you, be in, be in, be in connection with you? Our website is www.carverpeterson.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn. You know, my name is Scott Peterson. And my email address is scott at carverpeterson.com. So those are our three good ways to connect. Cool. Um, but Scott, I really appreciate you having me. You've been a great host and uh, I look forward to continuing to build our strategic partnership and relationship as well. 100% agree. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the time today. Cheers. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects, and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, Make sure you are consulting with authority.